0: Welcome to another episode of Two Guys Discussing Software. Two Irish Guys. Two Irish Guys Discussing Software, yes, thank you again on episode six of our podcast, we're here in sunny Dublin. It's a beautiful day. Isn't it an absolutely beautiful day here in Dublin, we've had some fantastic weather all week, and we are here to talk about our usual topics. I'm here joined, as you can hear, by Brendan, Brendan Walsh, my good friend, and global sales director of our organisation, as always, to talk about our favourite topics, the software industry, the company IBM, renewals, customers, the law a little bit, perhaps, but maybe shortly. We're mm-hmm. going to be joined by Guy Tritton. A so, friend of ours. Yes, indeed. Guy Tritton is the IP barrister from the United Kingdom, author, lecturer, so we'll have a chat with him later on. Quite appropriate, two Irish guys being joined <laughs> by Guy, yeah. So, IBM. We always have to start with IBM. Let's talk a little bit about IBM. I have to say it. Did you see the share price movement? Was it was it down No. again? No, 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 no. In fact, since we last spoke on this topic, on this show, they have had a significant movement of their share price in the last month. Excellent. It has moved from, for those of you in the financial world, low to mid-30s up to 141, 142. So it's a pretty nice movement. Not quite moved very far in over twelve months. It's pretty flat actually. It's about twelve months ago. It was about the, about the same. But I thought that was pretty interesting. Obviously, they must be doing something, right? Do we know what they're doing? Well, we know they sold the software portfolio. Some of the software portfolio to HCL. We talked yeah, about that previously. A bit of cash. Yeah. So they raised some money. Maybe they, but, they, then they
1: but then they spent a lot of cash. Yes. You know, buying Red Hat. So
0: they're going to need a lot of money pay back the whatever way they borrowed that money. I presume they could have. 30 odd sitting billion in,
1: sitting in the bank sitting in know, the bank yes. probably financed it but, yeah. but then they're selling off assets to raise cash so maybe it wasn't all, uh, all debt yeah. uh, but so, we, do we know what the positive news is? No, really. I think it's Wimbledon. Yeah,
0: really? Yeah, personally, I think it's Wimbledon. I mean, they've got you know, uh, Coco Gauff, 15-year-old tennis player, beating Venus Williams. I mean, every time I'm watching Wimbledon, I just see IBM everywhere. They're all over the news. You've been watching Wimbledon?
1: I haven't, because I've yeah. been very busy. I watch other sports, but we're not going to get into it. No, that. we don't <laughs> do other sports. We'll do Wimbledon because. But I like, did hear about the 15-year-old Anna. When I did, I looked at my own 15-year-old daughter and said, What are you doing? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Lying on the couch. I've stopped that. It's I've pretty s- amazing.
0: I've stopped I like, no, I don't do that anymore. Yeah, like, we've not never, it's not fair. Not fair for the no, we won't bring won't bring family into this. No, we're not going to talk about snowflakes. No, no, no. And Nick Kyrgis, uh, I think he's Australian, is he? He's played Nadal yesterday. He's the funniest guy. I saw him actually in his previous round. It was a third round or fourth round yesterday. In his previous game, he did I think one or two underarm serves yesterday at the Centre Court. My own tennis. He does it again. He does it again against Nadal of all people, the Spanish yeah. ace. What was that's, he doing? Sprinting from the back of the course. No, he just did a little did a little diggy yeah. over the top and he was like, oh, I didn't see coming. Yeah, no, it was been very good, actually. The tennis has been excellent. So, yeah, so there's, there's been absolutely no bad news and we're back no, in Dublin. No, it's very positive. We're back in Dublin. Yeah. We've been away, though. We were at ProcureCon in Denver.
1: And we have news from there, well, don't we? We certainly do, yeah. Great show oh my some, god great show with some great people lots of very topical conversations and workshops I think you chaired a couple of them yourself So I did thank you yeah, yeah I did, did. Yeah,
0: it's very tricky actually a lot of hard work I had the first session actually was quite good Matt Tucker from Barclays and, and Yogesh Sayanaka from BD future of procurement where it's going what I thought was really interesting particularly in relation to our business the titles change in titles mm-hmm. procurement titles for senior positions in procurement chief procurement officer mm-hmm. director of procurement director of sourcing the latest one chief cost transformation officer I'm looking for the chief renewals officer yeah, yeah. in that team but yeah I mean, this is this is just showing what's yeah. going but
1: it's several years ago now I went into one of the kind of more notable Irish financial services organisations and when I was working with them and this it's probably 10 years ago and they were At that stage, they were called cost management and procurement. So maybe they were ahead of the trend. But it was unusual at the time because I hadn't heard about it since, and then it's become quite topical in uh, in Denver. But actually, you know, ten years ago, I saw something like that evolving in the industry.
0: And have that company that you mentioned when I mentioned names bought from us, or do they use us? Yeah. Uh, Unfortunately, not. Or maybe they're not doing the transformation as they should. Well, they're certainly. They could have been
1: at Denver because there was a lot of topics around areas of interest for us such as cost savings and managing the black hole as it was called, of renewals and so forth. So uh, yeah, they could have learnt a lot by, by being in Denver. Yeah.
0: yeah. And we had a really good session as well then with about the mega vendors and that, the black hole of renewals as they has yes. been called at the show. Yeah, there was a lot of fighting talk in the titles, I don't know if you
1: noticed that, but there was the black hole of renewals and the battleground and negotiations and winning the war against your vendor so there was a lot of kind of very pugitive kind of titles in yeah the, that's you know, interesting across across the stream i just i just noticed that when i read the agenda so what does that say about you know it is a battle when you're in negotiations and it's kind of seemed like a fight yeah it seemed like some of the guys on stage that you were you were interviewing and sharing it was it was a fight and it was all about how to protect yourself and it wasn't about actually the relationship you should have with the yeah. vendor. The relationship was missing. It was about how to stay compliant, how not to be audited, how to win the battle. Mm. And I thought that was an in- interesting uh, kind of take on the show. That was yeah. one of my big takeaways.
0: And this was the first time we did a procurement, pure procurement show. Mm. Yeah, because
1: we normally do these asset we hang out with the soft dress and manager events. We hang out with the sound guys. Yeah, you know they're good fun, but. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was it was definitely a different slant on it. When we're at the software asset managers it's it's it is much more about making sure that they're compliant and understanding their rights and entitlements and, and so forth. But with the procurement people was definitely cost saving and, and saving strategies. And then as I said, winning that war was definitely kind of much more on the agenda.
0: Yeah. You know? yeah. I thought Brad Veach from Walmart, who was part of the panel session, but He was great, yeah. His his presentation was outstanding, yeah. Yeah. yeah,
1: no, he was very good. He was a good, a good presenter. But what I, my main takeaway from that is, he talked about how to manage two and three really low digit, single digit reductions, or yeah. maybe even no, or increases. Sorry, not even reductions. How do you manage down your vendor to a three percent annual increase as opposed to a decrease, and how that you know when you look at that compound over ten years, the actual amount of money that costs. Whereas, but obviously, when talking to us, it's all about. Will reduce your costs year on year. So it's kind of interesting that such small numbers is what's being
0: discussed yeah. when, when dealing with the mega vendors. You yeah. Know. Yeah. No, it is. It's a, And a lot of it goes back to in the topic because we're going to be joined any second there by our eminent colleague and barrister Guy Tritton. It's rights and entitlements. And mm. Guy, you're with us here in Dublin. Well, I'm delighted to be here. Beautiful day. Guy, you're, you're also known as, in our company, as the guy. I'm very happy to be the
2: guy, that guy, this guy, any way guy, however you want it.
0: And you've you've got accolades, you're a barrister, you're a specialist in intellectual property, you're an author, you're a lecturer, you've just come back from Georgia walking.
2: Tobias, you're my PR agent, can I say any more? Well, we're <laughs> delighted
0: to have you here. On, the, on this topic of entitlements for our listeners, really, it's like, isn't that part of the problem? Contracts, license agreements, complexity, is that where it starts and ends, or is there more to it than that?
2: Yeah, a lot of these contracts by these big software vendors would not get plain English awards. Let's be clear about this. They're uh, often 30 years, 40 years out of date, not dealing with current technology, That gives rise to ambiguity, ambiguity gives rise to pressure, software audits, and sometimes one sort of can't help but thinking that this is all a little bit deliberate and intentional.
0: Are they sailing very close to the wind, some of these software vendors, in terms of pushing the boundaries of the law, whether it be the European Software Directive or US Copyright Act?
2: Um, I think a lot of these software vendors, they like to finesse the uncertainty, hide them it to fixes software audits, what are your licences? It's a sort of David and Goliath situation most of the time. When you've got an ambiguity, you've got a lot of interpretation as to how these licences works. Generally, Goliath, the software vendor, says, well, if you want to argue it further, we can. It tends to be that the licensees roll over. Okay, fine, we'll do what you say. So yes, uncertainty, is it there for a good reason? I think it's there for commercial reasons,
0: and the practice, the audit practice. The
2: audit practice is really the what follows on from having ambiguity. If your license isn't clear, software vendor comes in. It may be unclear as to the terms. It may be unclear as to sort of the extent of your licensing. Does it cover desktops? Does it cover mobile use? All these types of things, and. Yeah, that can be used to leverage you into situations you don't want to be into. Mm. For instance, getting you onto a, a
0: cloud-based subscription basis. Yeah. And Brenda was talking earlier about the event right, we were come back from Denver, and there are procurement professionals talking uh, emotionally about getting 2 or 3% reductions in, in savings from these, these mega vendors. And obviously you know our business, and our business is about providing, on average, 60% saving. And one of the the legal questions that often comes up in our business is, are we obliged to renew the maintenance? Do, you know, we have have this maintenance renewal. This is the problem. The maintenance renewal has almost become, and I call it a license renewal. That's what the vendors call it. It's a, a trick. It's like the... The Trick that the devil played that he doesn't exist was that well, they actually call it subscription, devil's advocate by and, way that. subscription
1: and support is used by IBM, for example. Yeah. So it's it feels like you're subscribing to something, and therefore you need to continue to subscribe, like your gym membership. Yeah, and I can't put it on pause like I can do at FlyFit here in Dublin. Yeah. I have to continue to pay, otherwise, I don't get
2: anything. That's what people yeah. think. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, I mean, it's. You can't help but thinking that there's a, again, a rather sort of deliberate obfuscation of, you know, the difference between a license, subscription, maintenance. I mean, let's be clear. You take most software vendors, legacy programs. You know, these are perpetual licenses. When you buy a BMW car, you don't buy it for 10 years. You don't have to take it to an authorized dealer. It's yours to do or not to do as you see fit. You can take it to an authorised dealer. You can take it to an independent garage. Exactly the same as software. And you can't help but thinking that a lot of this wordplay, subscription support, is designed to sort
0: of confuse
2: the issue a little bit.
0: And are they allowed, the vendors, we see a lot of penalties and kind of back charges and very nasty practices if you don't play by their rules. Their rules are... We want you to renew. We want you to continue to spend these, this, some outrageous amounts of money. Mm. Are they are they allowed to do all that? Well, mm. uh, some of these practices, like you know, if you return
2: to us having been with somebody else, we'll pay. You have to pay four times. Uh, I'm pretty dubious in terms of a uh, sort of antitrust law. But I don't want to get too much into that. The fact of the matter is, like a prodigal son who returns, people are delighted to see you. They mm. will take you uh, and take you pretty much on the terms that you see fit. This is really all about licensee power. If you've got the right to go independent, software vendor for subscription, they want your business, I wouldn't worry about it too much. The point is, and this is the take home message, is it's perfectly legal to go to a third party maintainer. Mm. There is absolutely 100% nothing wrong with that.
0: What happens if IBM tried to change the terms
2: after the fact? terms of the license yeah no, they can't once your license if it's a little bit like BMW saying, "I'd like the car back, please mm. sorry, I bought it off you it's mine so there's you no way do, they could do that no way yeah? absolutely no way at all, yeah,
1: even some of those you know online Ts and C's so you get your master service agreement, and inside the master service agreement, there are these hyperlinks to additional clauses that exist online that can be easily edited after the fact. so I signed the paper, I send that back but there's a link in the paper to something online which could easily be changed, is that,
2: does that happen? Yeah, I mean the law is, you've got to know what the contract is when you buy. It. Mm. If, if you, you, you can't sort of start saying, well it was that when you bought, two weeks later it's this, four weeks later it's that, because you're changing some hyperlink reference. That, that's not allowed. Often what happens, and I've seen it quite a few times, is of course these hyperlink references are changed. Yeah. Not through bad faith, they just get updated. Mm. But the terms and conditions you've entered into were the terms and conditions which existed on that day when you signed. Yeah. That's in concrete. So you should print it's out those.
0: Isn't that what they were saying yeah. at ProcureCon? One of the, the speakers at one of the panel sessions, it was quite interesting what they said. If you should, when you sign your contract, that you download and print, have a physical copy. Mm-hmm. And they were saying that because actually they have seen. This is what they've seen, those changes. Now, whether those changes were... Deliberate changes. or not, It doesn't really matter. They changed after the fact. Went to the trouble of printing off what was behind those links.
2: I've yeah. seen situations when the left arm doesn't know where the right arm's doing. So some of the hyperlinks go to 404 pages. Well, print them out. If they're a 404 page, you're in good. You're in good position. There are no terms and conditions There's on that hyperlink. hyperlink. You're talking about a very complex organisation. Somebody, millions of employees. These things happen. Freeze it. Put it in your safe. Lock Throw away the key. And
0: if you find it's four well, don't throw away the key actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Give it to somebody. <laughs> but if you find a four oh four later and you've got a hard copy and you've got a, a link that's gone and all of the other interesting information it's now gone none of those clauses apply what's what
2: source for the geese is source for the gander if there were terms and conditions but they've gone six months later okay. the, the terms and conditions which were there you know that, that's the way it is
1: one other thing that came out of ProcureCon which is related this, you know, the T's and C's and it came up I think when the the, the chap from Salesforce was on stage was when moving from on-prem to cloud there was a strong recommendation from the panel that the end users should write their own t's and c's so and present them to the vendors and say here are our stock SaaS cloud terms and conditions that we want to start the negotiation will that work i mean there was yeah. a lot of hands raised in procure pond as to how many companies had
2: written their own t's and c's there's a sort of misconception that the licensor you have to deal with on their standard T's and C's. Folks, this is a negotiation. They want your business, and if their T's and C's don't work, you put in your own T's and C's. Now, they may say, sorry, we work on our T's and C's, and you say, do you want my business or not? And then, of course, a negotiation happens. But if your T's and C's are reasonable, make sense, and often make much more sense than the software vendor's T's and C's, I don't see any reason why you can't say to a software vendor, this is our business practice. And remember, a lot of these licensees are big companies in their own rights. Mm, you absolutely. don't have to operate on a license source T's and C's. Common myth number 65421. Okay.
0: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Good advice. Good advice. And if you were, the audience we, we speak to on this, on our show, they're not lawyers. They are. IT professionals, many of them are soft trusted managers, work in the IT industry. Maybe sometimes work in the secondary market or, or procurement professionals. We hope to get some of those obviously on this as well. The if you were giving advice to them, they don't they don't live in the world of legal jargon. They don't live mm. in the world of what they can and can't do. And in fact, it can be quite fearful. Mm. You know, what am I what am I allowed to do? And indeed, actually, many in house c- councils, because they're probably hired to help the business whatever business that is whether it is you know retailers Walmart for example just using the guys who are at the conference or it's Barclays in the banking industry whoever it might be their their in-house counsels are are, are specialists in the law of their industry now they've been asked to look at perhaps and help out in an area that they may no matter how good they are as lawyers be just a little bit not as up to speed on and the people who are looking at this internally it's kind of tricky isn't it? How, well, if you would give some advice to, to, to a listener, what would you say to them? Where, to, where should they start and how do they go about getting their head around this?
2: I, I think in-house counsel will often feel uncomfortable with dealing with IP licenses, software licenses, computer copyright. These are quite specialist areas. Um, but on the other hand, if you want to get advice and mm. you need advice, there are people you can go to. Um, this law is not as complicated, interestingly enough, as the software vendors want you to think that it is. It's simpler. But they arbitrage your ignorance in this area to say, no, sorry, the law doesn't permit that. It's not that complicated. Excellent. Trust me, I wouldn't be in
0: this field if it was. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's a fantastic way to end the show. Guy, as always, you have been an oracle of information, excuse the pun. Uh, that's, uh, <laughs>
2: having been against oracle in the Supreme Court,
0: I think I might prefer not to be thought of as that. <laughs> well, from, from me and from Brendan... It's a good night for me. It's yeah, a good from day for my, me. Yeah, and it's we've a good had a, night for me. We'll talk to you <laughs> all night, again in, in, a, in a number of weeks. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you very much.